Welcome to Off the Rip with your hosts that front like they know the most. We talking smack about whoever, whatever is currently on our minds. We ain't no experts, so don't get hurt if we say something that rubs you the wrong way. This is a place where ideas get thrown out and tossed around. If you can't take the heat, get up out the kitchen. We about to serve them up. It's Reem D, Mook, and Shiz. It's Off the Rip. Nothing in common. Nothing to say, nothing to comment. I can't stay, comfort in comments. Dun, dun, dun. Back like we never left. It's been a minute. It's been a minute. What is good? What is up, OTR family, OTR crew? We back for episode 49. 49. Next one's the big 50, the big 5-0. We've been gone for a minute, so uh, let me just check in with you, you know, your, your host that be fronting like they know the most, you know what I'm saying? What's up with y'all? What's going on, Mook? What's good with you? How you been? I'm I'm good, man. I'm living all right, you know. Life be trying to get you down sometimes, you know. Um, you got to reassess the situations you in, but there's still a lot to be positive about, you know. Just because something ain't going right in one area, don't mean the whole thing is going to shit. So for me, just trying to stay positive and roll with the punches. You know what what they say, Rashawn, it ain't about how hard you get hit, it's about if you get hit, and keep going. So that's that's okay. kind of my my mentality right now. Um, but what's good with y'all? Uh, let me check in with you, Rashawn. What's up? What's up, Shiz? Not much to it, man. Just, you know, just want to piggyback on that. Just trying to survive in a heart and crew world, you know? So <laughs> Blessed and highly favored. Man, they're trying to kill me, and I won't die. So that's where I'm at. There you go. Whatever don't kill you, make you stronger, right? Or the Joker says, make you what? A stranger? But anyways, here we go. What's up, T? <laughs> Yeah, I'm just I'm resting and nesting, man. We th- we 35 weeks. Oh, you 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 a month out today, right? A month yeah. out from the due date. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, January 5th. So yeah. Wow. Days, so. What what yeah, day? I, got, got the the family. I think I said December 31st. I think that was my guy. Yeah, that would suck. there goes mom and dad getting drunk on new year's eve like every year until until she like goes out with her friends (laughs) what's up reem how you doing i'm good man i'm good living getting ready for some uh some holiday traveling pretty soon so planning out what that's gonna be like but uh you know doing well can't complain yeah, yeah, I've been trying to plan. You talk about holiday traveling, man. I've been trying to plan a, a family getaway. Um, my dad, he travels back from where he works. He works out of the country. He's coming back to Massachusetts. And um, he's like, yo, I don't want to be in the winter. Um, mm. He wants to be somewhere nice and, and warm. And, man, we've been trying to plan this since the beginning of November, and nothing has come to fruition, like nothing. Mm-hmm. Every time we make progress, it's like the next day is like two steps backwards to choosing the destination. <laughs> Who's Yo, taking charge on the? Go through AAA if you got it. They'll set everything up and you can give them the money. It's mm, a good idea. What are you gonna say, Shiz? No, I was just saying who's taking charge? Who's taking lead on? Uh... So it's been um, my sister was throwing out a lot of ideas and stuff, um, but then she threw out like Turks and Caicos, and that's like twenty grand. For, the, for like a three-day vacation for mm. five people. So it's like, that's a lot of money. So we don't need to do all that. And then my mom don't want to, my mom don't want to go to like Texas or Florida because she don't align with those ideals. So that takes those, those places out. And then it's like, you're looking at New Orleans or other spots like that. And that takes that out. Yeah. Well, uh, if you guys, if y'all want to go out of the country, I mean, DR is not a bad spot. We got some of those all-inclusive yeah. deals. All-inclusive, nice. I would love all-inclusive. Yeah, um, I yeah. think yeah. hurricane season Mexico just ends. Yeah, I think hurricane season is ending soon, or is ending now. So yeah. that's also what looking at the Caribbean and stuff. St. Thomas, Virgin Islands. The fact I got you. There's a travel agent that I'm gonna um I'm gonna get you in contact with. Reach out to her. She'll she'll set it up for y'all. Yeah, that'd be nice because because right now my sister was trying to plan all that and 
She has an expensive taste. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's right? like she's not fresh out of college. Like she don't got no grown folk job yet. <laughs> she said Turks and Caicos. <laughs> I'm like the place that Drake be rapping about. <laughs> Anything that's in a Drake song is out of my out of my uh, budget at the moment. So mm-hmm. yeah. Now so, you yeah. got big paper, bro. Stop it. You got big. You know, your money's long. <laughs> Now. Your money long. <laughs> yeah. <Except> for now. <laughs> but anyways, yo, that's that's what we got. Just checking in with y'all. Um, anybody, everybody seems like we in a good spot. Um, hoping to welcome another member into the OTR family soon. So sending positive vibes to the Perry family for that. But let's uh jump into our topics for the day. So let's start off with uh some sports, man. What we got for sports? Someone take us through that. So uh, big news happened um, just yesterday as we're recording this Sunday morning, Saturday night. Um, Deion Sanders announced that he will be accepting uh, the head football position at University of Colorado. Uh, so Deion Sanders was previously the coach of the HBCU Jackson State football team for the past three years. And in his three years, um, has turned this program into a pretty successful program in the past two years, won their conference championship. So he leaves that program, um, you know, in a really good place in terms of building up uh, to recruit some great players and being, uh, you know, hopefully set for a few more years of success and moves on to the Pac-12. So a huge program, a huge university, um, a lot more resources. You know, Dion talked openly about how difficult it is to recruit an HBCU and the limited resources they have there. So he'll get, you know, D1 time money to be able to recruit and travel and do what he has to do to help that program get big. Um, what were your guys' thoughts when you heard the news that Dion's leaving? Uh, my original thought was I was upset because um, I thought he had done a lot of great things at, at Jackson State. And obviously, I'm not taking anything away from you know what he accomplished at Jackson State, but I understand, you know, um, in his interview, he did. Um, Somebody had posted the interview he had did with the, I believe it was that, I can't remember what the, the guy's position at Jackson State is, but he did the interview um, with the team after the game. I'm pretty sure he probably had a conversation with the team before, but this one was kind of more public in, in how he's going to wrap everything up. But um, I understand that, you know, it's it's different from, you know, what he wants to accomplish. And, you know, he wants to put his, his I, I, I think he wants to put his son in the best position to possibly – you know, live out his dreams and possibly go play into the NFL. And he understands that, you know, as as good as as good as Jackson State is, as good as the SWAC conference is, it's a lot different looking at a quarterback coming from from the SWAC compared to, say, a skill position where it's like, okay, like skill position, it's a little different. You're not processing as your your process processing isn't the same as processing as a quarterback from one level to the other. And you know how hard it is for, for, you know, quarterbacks of color for them to say that they're not, you know, good enough to play the position. So I think it's, you know, I think it's a, a big step for Shador to, to be able to play on that level. So I, I'm happy for him. Uh, I'm just kind of sad that, you know, the SWAC lost a, a, a great coach. Yo, so I, I am frustrated with this move. I understand it. Like this, like now he's gonna be the big time. Now maybe he he has an aspiration. I imagine his aspiration is to coach in the NFL, and that could be that. This is a more a more traditional path to doing so. But my perspective when he first when he took the HBCU job was that he was there to be a disruptor. He was there to change the status quo, and when. Mook, you say like, yeah, his son, um, who I don't know if he's going to transfer or not, um, gets a, gets a like, you know, a lot of black quarterbacks don't come out of HBCU. I thought that was the whole point of Deion Sanders being there to shine a light on that talent, to bring more talent, like how he got that top cornerback from um, from Florida mm-hmm. um, and got him there. And now he's dipping. So I, I imagine he's probably going to transfer over to Colorado. Maybe. I don't know. That would be smart. But it's like did it's like almost as if he gave up like the whole point was to get Jackson State to where they're playing the Colorados and he could do that on the flip and be like oh we're gonna go play Jackson State and early game like you can do that yeah 
and he can go play other HBCUs like once a year or something like that. But I thought he was trying to change the status quo and make like the SWAC more competitive and more um, just, yeah, just get more eyes on it, get more money in HBCU football. So that that's my only thing. And I don't think I'm versed enough on what his interviews and stuff to say that maybe he had a different vision or something, but I just thought he was trying to elevate HBCUs and he did to some extent, but now like he left. So. Now you bring up, paying attention yeah, to you, br- you bring up, bring up a good point T because I thought the same thing in terms of him being a disruptive disruptor and just his overall theme with taking the Jackson state university job. He completely changed that organization around, right? Like they went, I think the times that he was there, I think they went 27 and three this past season, they were what 12 and zero, um, yeah. and then getting that, that five-star um, corner, right. Travis Hunter from Florida. Yeah. Initially he was going to go to Florida state, but then he ended up going there. So him having the no- notoriety of who he is as Deion Sanders, but then able to pull, you know, a high caliber player like that. I thought he was going to definitely build off of that. Um, but then I can't, I can't necessarily be mad to him to pretty much back to T's point in terms of what his aspirations are as a coach. Um, this is another challenge for him because Colorado this past year went one and eight. Um, so if he's able to turn this team around, I think that would, that would, um, ultimately cut out all the naysayers in terms of, okay, here he is taking on another challenge. But then, um, I also thought that yeah like why not continue to solidify that foundation on the hbc level of like you said continue to bring in a lot more high caliber players um and get because to be honest with you teams like alabama and all these sec teams these are you know black men right who are you know making a shit ton of money for all these white institutions it'd be great to see um some of these players funnel into hbcu circuit um and just continue to build off of that. I would love to see, you know, some TV contracts come into the HBCU. And I think that's the leverage that Deion Sanders had on that level. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think to, that, oh, go ahead. Go ahead no, go ahead. Um, I was going to tell you a little bit different, but so if you had some of this, um, I was going to kind of be I'm, I'm in a different place from all you guys too. So by all means, go okay. ahead. Yeah. So I was going to say like, so in taking it off of Deion, uh, what, and I've been, I've been running into this uh, question a lot, and it's a question that I ask myself a lot too because of the work that I do. Um, because working with in our community, a marginalized people, a vulnerable population. Um, yes, I, I speak to I statement. I want to help um, my community and the people who look like me, but I sometimes get tripped up because it's very trauma traumatizing and triggering. I uh, put myself in that situation that I've been. Um, one that I've also experienced, um, well, I'll speak from student, the student perspective because I work in education, uh, that I've experienced on the student side and now I've seen um, similar situations uh, as a administrator or as a faculty member um, or a teacher and then having to deal with that constantly and feeling sometimes like, yo, I'm, I'm doing my part. What is anybody else doing? So from, I can see a point of what Dion says, um, or not says, but a, a point of a world where Dion might be thinking like, yo, I did my part. It's time for someone else to carry the torch. Mm. Um, so just think about that. What do you guys think about that? I think that's kind of closer to where I, I stem in just kind of recognizing, like it's not Dion's responsibility to have programs or schools or people support HBCUs. You know, what he did in these past three years definitely brought a lot of attention to the differences um, in just kind of like the FCS schools versus some of the HBCUs. And I think that's been helpful. His conversations with Nick Saban, the discussions around recruiting differences and just the financial resources schools have. And so, like, when you think about the three years from the game perspective, what he's been able to do with this school, you know, the amount of wins, the championships. Like that's impressive in itself. If he had just done that, it would have been deemed a success. But he did that. And then he also brought attention and advocated for HBCUs, got some incredibly high powered recruits to HBCUs. And hopefully it's something that other schools say, um, all right, maybe we can do this. Maybe we need to get a coach that can relate better to players. Maybe we need to get somebody that can really 
you know, bring our college up um, or university up. And so I, I agree with you, D. Like, I don't think it should be all on D. And I don't think people should look at this like he's leaving an opportunity or um, kind of moving on from something that he needs to continue. Like, he has no obligation to, um, you know, bring up HBCUs. I think it was something that worked out really well for him. And I would say it's a success. But with anything, um, you know, he's entitled to go on and move to whatever he like he feel like is the the next best step. Um, and I haven't seen it too much. I don't know if this is really a belief of people. I don't think that a lot of people think that he's just kind of leaving or walking away from HBCUs, but I, I agree with you, D. Like, I don't think it's something that we should just say um, he should, you know, feel obligation or feel entitled to have to support HBCUs because he, he's done it for the past few years. Yeah, I think for me, selfishly, I'm like, damn, I wish he could have stayed. Mm. Um, but then also, and I appreciate y'all from bringing up that that side of it as well, because would he be met with mixed emotions had he, say if he didn't have the the success that he's had on the HBCU level, level, you know what I'm saying? Like in terms of, you know, the, the winning seasons, would he have the same response um, if that wasn't the case, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. My my yeah. biggest thing is I remember I believe it's when we first started talking about Dion Sanders on the podcast when he was, you know, getting these recruits and things like that. And I said, I don't know how long he's gonna be able to do this at um HBCU just because we talked about the one A and one double A. And I always thought that the only way it's gonna be successful is if he gets to that one A level. Because at the end of the day, like, he can get a five-star and things like that, but I don't know if he can continuously get five-stars if at the end of their their three years or four years there, that NFL scouts are still going to look down upon HBCU. Because he came out and advocated, too, last year, because two drafts ago, I don't think um, not one player was taken from an HBCU. Last year was a little better. I think it was something like maybe five was taken from HBCUs last year in the NFL draft, but he had advocated for that. And I always said that they're never going to take those guys over those power five guys because of the the relationship those guys have. And they're going to always say, oh, they played at a higher level. So I think that's what he was looking at too, is he can't get those higher level guys at an HBCU because he knows that in the end, it's not going to work in their favor when they try to go on to the next level. So but like I said, I still think, like I said, I'm selfishly, I still want him at an HBCU. And I think that the HBCU is put in a, a higher light now because of Deion Sanders, what he did there. Um, college game day was at Jackson State, if I'm not mistaken, this year. I think it was the first time they've ever been to an HBCU, which is pretty dope to see that on national television, to see, you know, to see all the fraternities and, and, and um, sororities out there um, during college game day. So. Uh, it's sad to see, but I think he made the best move for himself, and I have, we really can't be mad at him because he made the the move for himself and to to better himself. And I think another piece, like Dion, in in one way, you can say he kind of created a blueprint, but it doesn't have to be followed to a T. Like I think a big reason his program has been successful is because he focuses on the players. Like you can see his personality and just tell that he cares about these kids and he brings them into the program and they all know this is a team, you know, they have the right priorities, they, they do the right things. And so you don't necessarily need to go get another pro athlete to coach an HBCU, but you can look at the basis for how he formed this program and why I think it was so successful. And when you focus it on football and focus it on the right things, you're going to bring in the right kids, you know? And so other HBCUs, other colleges can use that model and just say, hey, let's prioritize bringing in good kids. Let's prioritize bringing in kids that understand the game, but want to develop, want to learn. Let's put the right coaches around them. You know, instead of thinking about, oh, who do I know? Like, let me bring on all my coaching buddies here. Like, let's really think about how we can best support the kids and the student athletes. And I think that's a blueprint that other schools can use if they choose to do so, because Dion, you know, executed it pretty well. One last thing I want to bring up, too, is he said in the interview, too, you can still see how Dion is about his players, too, because one of the last few things he said in his interview, too, was he said he was going to sit down with each and every one of the players, too, to figure out what their next move is. Because he said, I don't want y'all just jumping in the portal 
and just blindly jumping in there and just thinking that you're just going to end up in the right situation. We want to find out the right place for you. We want to, you know, if it's best for you to stay there, if it's best for you to go, whatever the situation is. So Dion does really care about those guys. And I think those guys really respect him. And I don't think anybody has any ill will towards him. All right, cool, cool, cool. So that wraps up our sports section and we can move on to our off the rip topic of today. Let's talk about how to navigate a professional setting um, or interactions um, as a male in a, um, and I use this term not being derogatory, hopefully, and in a female dominated profession or female dominated professional space. Um, so yeah, I know that could be a triggering word for, for some people. Um, and, I, and I'm using male and female both at the same time, just, just to put it out there. Um, so yeah, so all of us, I believe, really do work in, um, I don't want to call it unique, but we work in a, a nuanced area where we might be the only male or one of um, a few males um, in our professional spaces. And we have to navigate interacting with um, women um, as colleagues and sometimes as supervisors uh, and being the only male representation. So what are those interactions like for y'all? Um, what have y'all learned? Uh, what are some of the things that you found as obstacles or barriers? And how do you navigate, how do you navigate this? I'll start off and just that, you know, I'm, I'm working at a hospital and I, I've just been there for a year um, as a social worker there. And I think one of the things that I, I addressed pretty quickly because I noticed it rather fast is that when we would get new patients that needed um, social work support, there was a lot of males and a lot of males of color that were, hey, Kareem, can you see this patient? Do you have time to stop by? Do you have time to call this family? And um I, my perspective on it is that I don't think it's necessarily wrong to have a person of color, especially a male, try to, you know, build rapport with another um, male child. Like, I think there's ways that that can be helpful to kind of build some connection, to have some similarities and interests possibly, and just support that, that patient, that family. But I think the intentionality behind it has to be right. Like, I, I don't think you should just say, here's a black family, go meet with this black social worker. That's not why you make that referral. If you, the provider is talking with the family and through discussion realizes Kareem's personality fits in with this family, we make that referral. Um, that makes more sense to me. But I think that is something that I've experienced is that there's this, oh, here's a male. So this male definitely wants to talk to another male. And, and that's just not always the case, as I'm sure you guys can probably speak to as well. But I, I know that's something that um, maybe not everybody thinks about, but it is something that obviously I've had to deal with, had to experience. And um, it's definitely kind of opened my eyes to how to navigate that conversation because it's not always easy to address that to your your colleagues. Or in a lot of these cases, these are my superiors. These are medical providers that are, are suggesting this or my supervisors. Um, and so something that um, I imagine will continue to happen, but at least to know that it's been addressed or have some conversations about it, I think is hopeful for me. Yeah, for sure. Um, something that I've experienced, I work in an office, a student services office at a community college. And um, at, in that office, I'm the only uh, male. And I am one of few black men on professional staff. Um, and that's counting professors as well. Um, I'm on the administrative side, the student services side. I'm not sure if there's any black males who are in, in that position. But um, something that I've noticed is like in team meetings or um, project managing, um, there is, there's been a lot of the, the feminine energy that has to justify their, what, why they say what they're saying, justify their ideas, um, like verbally justify their ideas. Like after they say, hey, we're going to do this, then um, um, I hear them repeat, like, this is why I think we should do that which was something that I had to adjust to because as, or myself as a male or my masculine energy, it's like, yo, this is what I want to do. And there's no backup conversation on why I want to do it. Just because I said it, then like my, my bias or my belief or my privilege is like, yo, then that's just what's going to happen. 
Um, I don't need to back myself up. It's something that I realized when I'm working with a lot of working with a lot of women is that almost and and they and I have seen a lot of apologies, like apologies for saying what they say. And a lot of time I'm like, hey, like you don't need to apologize for saying that's a great idea. Like, where's this apology coming from? Like, don't apologize to me. Um, and something that I, that was told to me is like, that's just how they've learned to function in this environment. That could be a symptom of the college that I'm at, um, but I've seen it a lot. Um, and as a as a as a male, that's something that I had to some, soon become conscious of in navigating that and in learning to validate people's perspectives and not just uh, go through like a bull in a china shop and like sit down and really listen to what people are saying and why they're saying it. A lot of times I wanna speed it up and just say, okay, next thing, next thing, next thing. Um, and I don't hear what's being said. Um, but also on the flip side of it, I think sometimes the meetings get detracted and the meetings derail because a lot of people are spending time being defensive and backing themselves up on points that um, don't need to be backed up. So it's, it's interesting, everybody's trying, it's almost like walking on eggshells. Nobody wants to hurt each other's feelings, but then by not hurting each other's feelings, the I've experienced sometimes the situation can become uh, passive aggressive <laughs> and, huh? and it's hard to, it's hard to, um, for people to really call each other out and how they feel because nobody wants to hurt anybody's feelings. How do you determine what's something that people should back themselves up on or give further explanation versus something that you should be able to say it and then just move forward? So for something like, uh, I give an example, say I'm writing a student survey and like on the student survey, I say, hey, this is a student feedback form. And then someone, uh, one of my women coworkers would say, we should specify that this is our program student form, not the North Shore student form. So that we know that um, this is specifically for our department. And I'm like, hey, that's a great idea. And while I'm, while I am fixing it, it's like, well, I think that we should do that because we want to make sure that we're not reaching. It's like, hey, it's a great idea. You're not hurting my feelings by saying that. Like that's that's an efficient idea that makes sense. You don't need to explain it to me. I get it. You you that's a great idea. You know what I mean? Um, so sometimes that comes with it as well. Do you do you, and I'm just like I'm just thinking about that. Do you ever think that you're uh, you're you're kind of assuming or thinking that you understand what their reasoning is and their reasoning might actually be different than what you believe it to be when they don't get a yeah, chance to explain that, it or further things? Absolutely. Like I said, I have I've had thinking. to slow down. I've had to slow myself down because uh, one, well, I feel like I don't take it personally, like when people correct me, um, but I feel like the culture of the school, it's a lot of people that take that personal and they feel like when you criticize them, that that's like criticizing their uh, competency. Um, and for me, it's like, well, no, that's a great criticism or that's a great um, addition or substitution that you just made. We don't need to talk about why, because that's going to waste time, waste my time. But sometimes that can be very invalidating when I do that. Um, and I need to take the time to actually listen to why people say what they do. And I think there's a, a, a spot of balance that I need to find where I can say, where I can recognize that and also like also push, push the projects forward. Yeah, I think that why is where we learn different perspectives and, and, uh, and different uh, experiences. That's Absolutely. a good point you make. So my experience with, um... So I work in an elementary school. And as you can imagine, that is, um, there is one, two, three, four, five, I believe five men on the staff overall. Granted, my school, there is, I think, 20 teachers at my school. Um, and overall staff, there's five. So there's probably about maybe 30 adults. Um, I had a different experience, actually, in terms of like, like, you know, planning and things like that, I feel like there is a lot more humility when I'm working with women and humbleness. And there often is no competition, uh, which is very conducive to planning and collaborating. Um, people tend to, I find that a lot of women will, um, tend to take their role like everyone decides on what how they're going to contribute and they stick with it the um like delegation is not not a problem everyone just picks a spot like I've never 
come up with an idea and had like a woman feel some type of way because like it's better than hers or different than hers um in these past couple years um working with working in the elementary school specifically so that I, I find that pretty comforting one thing that I do have to realize though just as a man and I think also as my personality is talking over people kind of back to what D was saying when he was like he assumes that he knows what the person is going to say or or like their reasoning I I find myself um in that predicament as well um and I don't know if that's just like my my male privilege or everything but I know I realized that when I tamp that down um I very much enjoy the way that the women in my workplace collaborate um it, it's very selfless and um humble yeah I, I agree on that too um um i do realize too a lot of times i'll, I'll even notice on the podcast too where it's like the the Sometimes when like, you know, somebody's having a conversation, something like that, you know, sometimes you're you feel the need to to want to interject. And sometimes like I know it's a lot of times too on the podcast, it'll get like that. Well, like I'll get choppy where it's like, okay, like because I'm trying to get a point out, instead of just, you know, just, you know, relaxing, stuff like that. I'm I'm working on it too, because that's something I, I noticed in my field. Obviously, um in in my field, um, Obviously, uh, um, we primarily work with um, with um, young men, and our program is geared towards you know men working with other men. But I'm also embedded into a school, and as you know, there's more um, female educators and male educators typically. So, um, a majority of my day when I'm not with with um, my specific program in the school. You know, we're working with um, a lot of um, female teachers and you can kind of see how um, the collaboration process is different. Obviously, um, it's I've only been here for a couple months, so I'm working towards, you know, getting into that mold. But my previous job where I was working with with um, women a lot, you see how women do function a lot differently than men because they're kind of just more. I'm trying to trying to feel the find the, the word out for it but a lot of what um d was saying where it's like they're more collaborative and giving reason for for certain ideas and things like that and you know i feel like sometimes as a male working in this field you kind of take a back seat just because you don't want to step on toes a lot of times so it's it's still in a it's an adjustment period but um i i feel that 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 collaboration is necessary for growth. Yeah, no, I um I actually want to piggyback on what T said because I I have a supervisor who is um a female and um you know prior to her being onboarded on a leadership role so I worked for um a school-based counseling program and uh being in spaces with men could get kind of toxic in the sense of, you know, me, I'm naturally a quiet person. So when I say stuff, I have a tendency to over talk just to get my thought out. Um, but in collaborating with her, um, she welcomes that, that, that empty space. So the collaboration piece, I think, honestly, allows me to work on myself in terms of my professional aspect in which I love, I love working in that sense of, you know, she brings that out of me. Um, and you know i'm always mindful of oh shit, am i am i over talking you when you're when you're getting out your point and she's just like nah it's cool gang like you know do you like and, and i and i enjoy that collaboration aspect of you know finding that line of you know essentially working on myself but then also picking up in spaces in which she interacts with leadership right because we're mainly male dominated so she's she's in these spaces and you know i admire the way she navigates it from her perspective. And then I too pick up on some of the unconscious bias that we have as men, right? In terms of, you know, we're in a meeting, she's like, well, shit, is anybody taking notes? You know what I'm saying? So it's just like, well, queen, we was, you know what I'm saying? So it's just like, well, Dan, do I need to take notes? Cause I'm the only one. So she's calling out 
some of our own shit in terms of, okay, these are great ideas. Let's collaborate. However, are y'all waiting for me to take notes? Cause that's what I, I succumb to, but I'm no administrator. Um, we're all equal together. So I love how she calls us out on our shit. Um, and I think that allows me to be a lot more hyper-focused in ways that, that I show up around um, some of the women on our staff. Um, and it makes me more intentional of, okay, um, you know, in terms of just the collaboration piece with, you know, say if I'm interacting with someone like Mike versus um, interacting with some of our wild queens, being intentional of how I show up, um, you know, just in leadership. And I think that's something that she brings out of me. Um, so it, it's it's really different in terms of just interacting with her um, on those bases. I, I hear you talk about like the difference and, and I think the rest of you guys have kind of spoken on that too. Do you guys feel like there should be a difference in how males and females interact in the professional space? Like, should there be like a difference? Should everybody be treated the same when they're interacting? Like why, I guess maybe what I'm asking is like, why do we do that in the first place? And should we still like have differences for how we interact and treat our, our colleagues, our professional colleagues? Yeah, I think it's I just, think, um, oh, go ahead, D. Everybody want to answer this question. Everybody wants to answer that. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I like it. I think, I think it's... it's. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> no, I just think it's it's one. It's those societal norms. It's those unconscious, like those unbiased um, perceptions that we may have around other people. Um, and I'm noticing, like honestly, just being in a leadership role, there's a lot of fucking egos. Like everybody has like has this like ego trip whether they say they do or not. And um, I think that ultimately gets away, especially being in certain settings with people. Um, and yeah, that's that's just, honestly, that's just my observation. It's just a lot of ego trips. I think that gets in the way of, you know, interacting with, say if I'm at the room with some of my male um, coworkers, um, that, just, that continues to get in the way in a lot of aspects and then, you know, seeing how that tends to pour over with some of our female staff. I'm like, yo, what are we, what are we doing? You know what I'm saying? And I, I feel like I couldn't necessarily get there. Well, obviously I would have gotten there, but having someone like my supervisor who was a female kind of point that out in the sense of, yo, what are we, what are we doing right now? Like, why do we continue to show up that way? And it's like, oh shit, you know what I'm saying? So being able to have someone to like pinpoint and then also be more mindful of, ways in which we can show up in front of other people, so. I think and to go off of what Rashawn was saying, um, and to answer your question, Liam, I think there's the, the state that we're in, the current state, and then there's an ideal future state that we would wanna be in. The current state is that there is a power dynamic and that there's privilege assigned to one and oppression for the other. Um, when you talk about um, a male or a masculine energy versus a female or feminine energy or traditionally feminine energy in the sense of Western traditional. Uh, let me be specific with that. Um, so that's the current state is that there's a power dynamic and it's skewed. Um, even if I am, and I have just like Sean, I have my direct supervisor is um, a woman and her supervisor is a woman and the woman that supervises her is a woman so top down um i'm being managed by most majority women and at the same time um i still have privilege as a man as a male um in america even if i even if i don't have that power over um perspectively if i don't have that power um in the office quote unquote like they control my job and my paycheck there's still um, a power dynamic there. Um, there's still privilege there. And so acknowledging that, then it's like, yes, I do have to be, I do have to interact. Um, be aware of how I interact with my uh, women, work, my women coworkers or my women colleagues because of that. I have to acknowledge my privilege and make sure that I'm not um, perpetuating any sort of um, discrimination or oppression and trying to uplift the women that I work with. Um, that's something that, and, and, and hopefully the, the future state is what you say, is what you mentioned, Kareem, of it being not an issue and that we can interact with each other all the same. Um, but I don't believe that we're there yet at all. And I think it's even 
highlighted or it's even emphasized in the jobs that we work with, um, Kareem being a social worker, um, Rashawn, Trevor, and Mook working in um, high schools, elementary schools, and me working um, in higher education. We all work with marginalized communities. So there's even more, there's even a more of a layer to it, more of a nuanced layer to it when you add that factor in. But ideally, we want that equality. But right now, we know that there's an equity problem. So with the equity problem, we have to move accordingly and make sure that we're addressing those equity issues um, and make sure that we're doing it in a positive way that uplifts, uplifts our women colleagues. And that's something that I try to do, um, that I seek to do, is empower um, a lot of the, the, women, the women that I work with, the women that I work with. I work with um, some women closely who if they if weren't for them, I wouldn't be able to do my job. Like straight up, they they help me organize um, myself. They help me plan programming, help me plan trips, help me make presentations. Um, even down to the fact of even reminding me uh, about putting in my time card. But like in that same sense, I can recognize the male privilege in that. In that, why do they have to tell me to do these things and not the other way around? And like if it wasn't for them, I would be floundering, um, in a sense because I just, can, I have the, whatever it is, I just blow that off or I blow those aspects off and then they help, they have to help and pick me up in that aspect. Um, when that's not part of their job, but they just do that. And so in return, when that happens, I try to say, hey, let's set this person up with this opportunity, like a leadership opportunity. Let's get this person this type of professional experience to make sure that they can put that on their resume. Like, let's, let's, talk, let's talk about um, how we can get you to your next goal um uh whether that be academically some of them are still in school i manage peer mentors and peer coaches um or whether that be professionally um like finding a different find a different job or opportunity where you can actually show these skills that you're using with me and you can actually write that down and, and transfer that to get you somewhere else or to further your um further your or professional journey mm -hmm. yo so to answer your question briefly, Reem, um, you said like, should we have to, have to like speak differently to our female coworkers or like treat them differently? Should we? No, we shouldn't have to. But because their experience in life differs so much than ours, I think that at the end of the day, we have to keep that in mind and how we're... I have to keep that in mind and how I'm interacting with them, that their experience is much different. For example, when Darius brought up um, how they might explain themselves profusely and they might need to just say, oh, because it reaches this target and that's the end of it. Um, in the past, someone may have, people may have discounted their ideas. So they add, they had to add extra more. And then from my perspective, I know like, oh, I trust them. I know they're talented, like regardless of their gender or how they show up. Like I know they're talented. I've seen them execute their good ideas. So I feel like, you know, in my, in my role, I can be one per male in their life that's been like, yo, that's a fire idea. So I see what you're saying with there. So I think that we shouldn't have to, but because of um, the general experience of a lot of women in business, um, or just in their careers have experienced, um, it's something that needs to be new, nuanced and um, understood and kept in mind with how I show up. Mm. I think that's a good point. I appreciate you bringing up like other people's experiences too, because I think that's a that's a huge other piece to it, right? Is, you know, we have our own experiences and how we build rapport with our coworkers and talk. Um, but the other side of it is how they're going to respond to that and, and recognize it. So being aware of that is, is super helpful for it. Were you going to say something, Shiz? No. Um, yeah, I think it's something that people can be thoughtful about. People can kind of be more aware about, and, and it might help. I don't know that there should be a a certain way we have to act, like act around our colleagues. I don't really love the idea of you know, if I'm talking to a female coworker, I should act and respond in this way. And if I'm talking to a male coworker, I should act and respond this way. I think as human beings, we have individual relationships with everybody. And so that should kind of be the primary um, reason why we interact the way we do, but within the realms of the environment. So in professionally, you have like a threshold of how you're supposed to interact as a professional. And then based on that individual uh, relationship, you might vary in that threshold. 
So some of your peers, you might be more joking and more, you know, goofy, but still professional. And some of your peers, you might be a little more, you know, get to the point straightforward and all within the, the threshold of professionalism, but it's going to differ depending on that relationship. And it doesn't matter if it's a man or a woman, it just matters on what your relationship is to that person. You know, I think that's how I tend to internalize it and look at it. Um, but recognize that like, that's not going to work for everybody. And people have like our, like you guys said, these societal norms and these kind of biases about how we sh should interact with each other. And that plays a huge part too. And one thing you just made me think of, and I, I I'll try to be brief because I know we have time for the segment, but um, I've experienced, I've experienced a, in my professional, in a professional setting, um, women, and I'm trying to think of how I can best put this, women putting down other women versus the way that they talk to me. And um, it took me a second to realize it. But I know Travis spoke about how there isn't competition. And on the other end of the spectrum, I've seen the way, unfortunately, I've seen sometimes when women have torn each other down and then I don't get the same treatment. And my only response is, my only thought behind that is, are they talking to me different because I'm a man? Um, if I didn't do the same, if like two of us, if me and my woman colleague both didn't do the same thing, like say respond to an email promptly, the way that that woman gets addressed um, by another woman supervisor was um, condescending, was tearing down, was um, embarrassed in front of the whole group versus me not responding to an email. I get a message saying, hey, respond to the 24 emails within 24 hours, like completely different. Um, so something that I've seen as well, and I think that speaks to toxic environments that people may or may not be in. But um, on the other aspect, on the other end of the spectrum, um, unfortunately, I've seen that and I've, I've experienced that as well. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I think the culture of the environment and culture of the workplace definitely, definitely shapes the that a lot. The culture of the environment affects that. Yeah. I'll say that. Um, anybody else have thoughts on that? I see shiz and tea. Well, how do, you, how do you navigate, D? Like, how do you call that out in a professional setting? Um, it's tough. Cause there's been times where I've actually, I've, I've sat down and like, I've sat down with myself and been like, wow, I miss, I dropped the ball on sticking up for my, uh, woman coworker. Um, and I just watched it happen like a, as a bystander. And like, that's, that, that really hurt, hurts me and eats me, um, eats me up inside because I'm like, man, if that was. That, if that happened to me, I would have just spoke up about it. But it happened to someone else, and that person doesn't have the same uh, whatever. Maybe maybe it'd be personality. Maybe it'd be um, opportunity to speak up about that. But they're still getting um, borderline harassed in that situation by the way they're being spoken down to. So um, I try to have – I've tried in the past to have individual conversations, say I've noticed – the way that you talk to X um, is kind of out of pocket or unprofessional. Or I've noticed that this has had an impact the way you've been talking to this person. Um, and I have seen that you, when the similar situations happen with me, you address me differently. So like, what's that about, you know? Um, and because the person I'm dealing, person I may be dealing with, um, has the capacity to treat someone like that in the beginning, as uh, as y'all can imagine, they don't have the capacity to understand why that's a mistake. Mm. Um, so then it keeps going. And then you get to situations like, okay, now you got to start documenting it. You get into situations like, okay, now you got to report to HR, you got to report to um, that person's supervisor. Um, and you just got to do your best in a professional aspect to take those steps to make sure you you, you can help protect your coworker. Yeah, I think that's great that you bring up like wanting to look out for your your coworkers, you know, wanting to to speak up for, you know, injustices or just, you know, rude comments or anything, you know, regardless of their identity, but just looking out for each other to kind of build a good place to to want to work. Yeah, absolutely. 
And uh, that will wrap up our topic for today. That was a good topic. It's something that I'm still learning how to navigate. Um, and I will be for a while. Um, let's see. We got OTR topics. Oh, no, 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 no. We have our famous segment. Our famous segment, What's in Your Serato? Taking a look at the music um, industry, pop culture, everything going on with that. So, yeah, so um, Metro Boomin dropped an album. Uh, you guys want want to dive into what your thoughts are, initial thoughts are? He dropped the album on Friday, today's Sunday, as we record. Um, anybody get a chance regular. to listen? Regular. Mm. <laughs> oh, damn. Regular, regular. Right out the bag. Okay. Regular, yeah, it's regular. It's, regular. Like, it's, it's like, yeah. it's not bad. Um, it was worth listening to. But am I going to give it a third listen? That's how, that's always my my threshold. Like, I'm going to hear it once, boom, just hear all the songs. Then the second time I want to go through and I might skip the few ones that I'm like, all right, yeah, that's, that's not doing anything for me. And that third time, I'm either playing it all the way through or I'm through with it. And I'm through with it. So with, with Metro Boomin, it's always about, you know, who's he got on on the, uh, on the, the album? Yes. Like, so how so, are the collabs? What are, what are we talking here? So we got context, Travis Scott. Metro, hold on, hold on. To provide okay, context, okay, Metro okay. Boomin is a producer, not an not an artist. So he he gets a different artist to be on his beats and for the songs that he has. So it's like a compilation album, They're like a DJ mixtape. Um, you can think of you don't like know that DJ Khaled. That's another mind. one who's uh, someone who curates artists and then puts <laughs> the song together. And so think about it in that aspect. If for those who are unfamiliar. Uh, but yeah, go ahead, Rashawn. Yeah, he got Travis on there. Uh, he got Don Tolliver, Future, Chris Brown, 2121. Um, and who else we got? We got John Legend, which I thought that was a pretty decent intro. I'm not gonna lie. I, I'm gonna be honest with y'all. I, I'm, I only listened to four songs. Um, and it's it's okay. I, I gotta listen to the entire album. Honestly, the hype, the hype though, the the promos and stuff prior to the 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 album drop was kind of tough. Yeah, um, Morgan Freeman Morgan on there, Freeman. right? He had Morgan Great Freeman. Yeah. Shout out to Morgan Great Freeman. Freeman. He's on there. Um, if you're gonna have a short film, Freeman, yeah, he got the a... next song has to slap. <laughs> like well, the beat has well, to go. But crazy. the next song did slap. The, song goes, the future. The, next the best song. On yeah, that the next song was the future song. Yeah, which was pretty I, good, and I like honestly does, Metro yeah. Metro shot his his transitions in between songs are pretty fire. I'm not gonna lie, like that's that's something that he he's definitely good at. Because I'm like, damn, I'm not listening to the same song, and then we're on to a we're on like track three or four. Um, but yeah, thing, I, I gotta listen to I, it through and through. Yeah. No, no, I'm just saying I gotta listen. I gotta listen to the entire album so he, to give him my rating. It, he finishes with a takeoff feature. And I think that's one of Takeoff's best verses. Um, may he rest in peace. Uh, mm. But yeah, you got Young Thug and Gunna on this album as well. So this is some of the first time we were hearing Young Thug and Gunna since they've been uh, locked up. Hold your head. You know what I'm saying? So I was expecting a little more heat in that aspect uh, from Thugger and Gunna. But actually, the Thug and Gunna songs are the better songs on the album as well. Um, but yeah, my favorite song is Superhero Future. D offline, mm -hmm. you mentioned you said you thought there was gonna be a little bit more like bass yeah, levels, some more bangers, yeah, couple more anthems. Mm -hmm. Um, last one, what did Metro Boomer do with Twenty One Savage? That album, was that him at Twenty One? Space, what's that like? Space Cadet. Space Cadet was fire. Space Cadet. Yeah. Ten Freaky Girls. Yeah, Ten yeah. Freaky Girls was fire too. Ain't no complaints. That shit he made with 21 was fire. Yeah. Was that one on there too? No complaints. Um Drake I think so. Yep. Yeah. So so that I was looking for more upbeat, a higher beats per minute. Um I wanted something that I could like dance to. Whereas yeah. this felt a little more RB. He has a song with the weekend on here where they sample um, they sample the songs been sampled to death, or they tried to flip the songs and flip to death. Um, all the way back to like when our parents were listening to hip hop, and even they sampled it earlier. Um, which I, I forget, I forget what it is. It's, the song's name was Creepin', but um, they sampled Ready or Not by the Fugees, 
And it's just like, yo, can we get, and this is kind of a place I'm in with music is like, can we be more creative with our flips? Can we be more creative with our sampling? Not just outright yeah. doing the same melody. Because that song has already been before. flipped. Yeah. yeah. I, I hate that when, I hate when they the flip. Song. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to know if you're playing me, keep it on a low. Like, come right. on. Right. Yeah. Music's like, in our place, man. I need people to start you. digging up like some, I need people to start digging up like old tracks that like we haven't thought about for a long time. Like that's why I love this song, What's Your Name by Tyler the Creator because I thought that was one of the dopest sample flips because nobody had touched that song in so long. Just to see it repurposed like that, that was fire. I mean, shout out to like, Tyler with his sampling and just like his producing capabilities, yeah, his, man. That shit is like, his creativity is super no unmatched, bro, for real. Yeah. It's it's amazing. I always say I I feel like I say this all the time. It's amazing where Tyler the Creator's career started as as an artist to where he is now. Like talk about like growth in music. Like yeah. I don't think there's been an artist like there's there's very few artists that have grown more in their career than Tyler the Creator. Mm. For sure, yeah. songs like Earthquake though, like when you really um, yeah start to peel away the layers of like the production and stuff. I feel like, and maybe I'm, I could be wrong about this, but, and I know we're, we're kind of staring away, but I think with Tyler, the creator, he's so, he's so talented in the sense that like his music is like controlled chaos, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's a whole bunch of shit going on, but it, 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 for some reason, it just, it just makes sense. It goes. You know what it I'm goes. saying? It um, goes. <laughs> and yeah, man, his, that dude. Yeah, I don't know. He's 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 starting to reach all time status. Then you yeah, got fucking he's... DJ Khaled out here who doesn't touch a button or anything. Don't get me started with that. <laughs> he, nigga, just says, he just says oh his name. God. Don't get me started <laughs> with him. Major yeah. keys. <laughs> well, that that wraps up our what's in your Serato section. You know, I mean, that's that's pretty much it for anybody. Got anything else they want to get off their chest in the next couple seconds? Any off the rip thoughts? Leave the listeners something to think about for a week. Leave the listeners oh. something to think about for a week. Oh, for, some, for the week, I, I I can start off. The Patriots are a fucking disappointment. All right, man. Fuck the Patriots. I ain't talking about the Patriots. They're and fuck the too. If we didn't, if we didn't have a defense, if our defense wasn't this good, we'd be unbearable to watch on television. <laughs> Unfucking bearable to watch on television. Our offense is a fucking joke. Yeah, well, it's the only type of you heard, it, you heard it here first from Mook. <laughs> I, I just hope Mac has a rebound year next year. Nah, get rid of Mac. I'm nah, it's too Bailey early. Zappy. Bailey, Zappy mad quarterbacks have a, a bad second season. Mad quarterbacks have sophomore slumps, and they it can come back. Yeah, he can have a he can have a, a junior revival and fucking send him to what's it called? Send him to Los Angeles, uh, Las Vegas. Yeah, I, I'm, <laughs> not, I'm, not fully, I'm not fully <laughs> off him after one bad season. Yeah. Yeah. So send him to Canada. Go play with uh, Victor Cruz and the boys. Oh my god, yeah. Odell Beckham. He can go play that Johnny Manziel football league where they can call a place for him. XFL. <laughs> crazy, crazy, stupid. All right, Joe. I got hey, I got man. one thought I'll leave I'll leave everybody with real quick. T, I know you, you gotta head out in a sec, but in November is men men's health month. Um we always want to bring awareness to mental health um for all people, but November specifically for men. And December comes with a lot of stress for a lot of people. It's a really tough time of the year because of the holidays, mm -hmm. because of some of the things that happen. Um, so I wanna recognize that and hope everybody uh takes care of themselves over this month and going forward. And I heard this quote yesterday that I really like that I just want to share real quick from Christine Kane. So it says, sometimes when you're in a dark place, you think you've been buried, but actually you've been planted. Ooh. That hit me. That hit me yesterday. <laughs> so everybody take care of themselves. You know, keep doing your thing. Things are things are going to get better. Like a rose in the concrete. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, Kareem said he's going to be donating... A hundred dollars a week in the month of December. Hundred dollars right. a week. Yep, yep, yep. Wow. Get right on that. <laughs> the Rashawn pocket watching. <laughs> oh, lastly, lastly, um, fuck sneakers, fuck Nike, fuck Phil Knight, 
Fuck all the apps that be going on. Fuck Oregon. All that shit. I don't want to deal with y'all ever again. That's mm. it. Yeah, honestly, yeah. Fuck oh, them yeah. for real. Yeah. <laughs> fuck, fuck sneakers, bro. You just Yo, so I know I will say this before we close out. The LeBron 20s, I had like three people um sign on for me. And I still didn't hit. My sister hit for me and she was like, Merry Christmas. I was like, bet. Really? Yeah, my I'm sister was sitting. Yo, no, I'm shit was not, sitting. Shit was not I'm sitting telling, for me, bro. I'm telling you, I, I went at like 1030. Not for my oh, size, baby. bro. 11 and a oh, half. Okay, them yeah. shits, them oh, shits were not okay. sitting. Because I was looking up, I was like, it was like 1030. I was looking, I was like, shit, should I? Ah, I'm not gonna do it. Yeah, fuck you, yeah. bitch. You gotta get it, you gotta get a size 13. You gotta come to the, the big boy sizes. <laughs> <laughs> so we can try, you know what? All right, I tell, the, tell the good people where to find this book before Rashawn get upset and try trying to drive over there. <laughs> you can find us at off the rip dot podcast or off the rip underscore podcast like i always say tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend to give us a listen and you won't be disappointed it's been another episode of off the rip All the family fucked up, split. All the minds corrupted. All that trying to look, love with. It's too late for you. It's too late for me. The game ain't fair. I don't make the rules. But if you break free, ain't nobody care. The worst thing to do is forget about where you came from. How the fuck I 